Welcome back, everyone, for round two of our podcast on South Africa as a tax jurisdiction. We had such an illuminating conversation with Professor Keith Engel last week that altogether too much made the cutting room floor or my iCloud drive, I guess. Last time we covered the basics, but if you were looking for all the nooks, crannies, and pain points to look out for in South African transfer pricing, then boy will your continued interest pay off in this episode. In speaking of academic credentials, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the course of this episode. Send all three code words to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Again, that's the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. And we'll reply back with your certificates. But for now, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. So much for sympathy. You'd think the IRS would be showing a little compassion for all you've been through during the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, layoffs, losses. But instead, the U.S. tax authority is starting to get suspicious that companies will actually exploit the pandemic and make adjustments for their own self-serving tax purposes. Ouch. While the agency is working with taxpayers who are legitimately struggling with tax authorities or can't hold up their end of the APA deal with the IRS, the Advanced Pricing and Mutual Agreement Program director John Hughes recently told a webcast audience, quote, there could be some degree of opportunism and we need to be cognizant of that and vigilant for that. <laughs> Gee, uh, cognizant and vigilant. What do you think he means by that? The pandemic is on everyone's blacklist, but what about the EU's blacklist? Turns out Barbados and Anguilla, two Caribbean islands we'd love to escape to right now, are on it. While it's bad news for Barbados and Anguilla, it's good news for the Cayman Islands and Oman, who cleaned up their acts enough to be released from said blacklist. Oman was released after it approved the OECD's Convention on Mutual Administrative Assistance in Tax Matters and passed laws for the automatic exchange of information. As for the Cayman Islands, all it took was a recent change of framework on investment funds. While the Cayman government is toasting pina coladas, can you blame them? Not everyone is on board with the decision. Non-governmental organization representatives and supporters of stricter action against tax havens criticize the Cayman release, arguing that it alters the credibility of the list altogether. Well, the good news is nothing lasts forever, and the bad news is nothing lasts forever. The EU Council is set to revise the list again in February. Republicans and Democrats aren't the only ones who can't agree these days. The OECD's inclusive framework failed to decide on a unanimous update to the international tax rules. And to add insult to injury, they were also unable to agree on both the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 blueprints. OECD Secretary General Angel Guria blames the COVID-19 in-person meeting restrictions, but he also recognized the political differences that stand in the way. On the bright side, the OECD did publish new reports about Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 blueprints, which outline the areas where the countries did agree, shocker, the disagreement points, ahem, amount A, and future action. While the proposals haven't been finalized for now, you can count on a public hearing on the pillars in mid-January. The like-minded consensus? Eh, I don't think so.
Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. We now bring you part two of our conversation with Professor Keith Engel on South African transfer pricing. Congruent with uh, other jurisdictions that we've seen have that relationship with their tax authorities where it's, you know, the requirements aren't so loudly stated as, say, the preferences. Um, looking at special benchmarking requirements, there's no legal requirement for local jurisdiction comparables, but it is preferable to have comparables that operate similarly to South Africa. Yeah. So let me go back. Just one other thing. Maybe it helps in, in understanding how people are auditing. Um, as the Revenue Service has a large business center, so they they all of the largest companies are there. And that's really what they're aiming for when it comes to transfer pricing. It goes outside of that. You're not going to see it. And if you look at most of the African countries, you'll see a large chunk have adopted large business centers. And that's where they apply their transfer pricing methodology, just as a footnote. Most, a lot of them, have, you know, have been slow on country by country reporting. A lot of them believe that the threshold for Europe is so high that they're not going to get any information. And they don't, their people, their own companies aren't in it. So South Africa is more involved in the country by country than the others. That, that So there is a bit of a difference in, in that spec. So, well, uh, just, just looking at even the other requirements on this list, there's a multi-year analysis uh, conducted. How many years is usually expected in that analysis? I think one of the things that you're saying is benchmarking. That's actually a very good one. Sure. One of the difficulties for all of the African countries is that when you look at benchmarking studies, these are all of listed publicly available data. So if you got Thomson Reuters and there are a few other key players in the space, Royal Stats, and, and some of them, when they, they've got all of their information, they're basing it off of public records. And the, all of those records are far better in Europe and the U.S. and they're in English. So the problem for the African countries is most of them don't keep all of those documents in public records. Maybe your listed companies you do, but that kind of detailed information doesn't exist. So when they benchmark, they really can't benchmark locally. And they can't benchmark even with the region. One of the discussions in ATAP over and over again is, you know, we need to have a better system of benchmarking. And generally, when they're benchmarking, the question is which country to compare to. And there's a camp that says what you really need to do is look at a lot of the Eastern European countries. They're more equivalent to there, and, and, that's, and that's where they go. So, so that, I think, is a very important aspect on the transfer pricing to consider. And in terms of multi-year, I think the way they look at things is year by year. But once you look at a year, you can't but help 
look at multiple years. And one of the things that the revenue service, when they're more effective is, if they see a mistake in year one and they can see a repeating mistake all the way through, well, therefore, at that point, you know, once you see a repeating expense, that really gets your revenue numbers up quite a lot. So one reason why certain things are more dangerous for companies, and you'll see this outside of transfer pricing, is if I'm, a, if I'm the head, if I'm the CFO or I'm a tax manager, you know, taking um, a, uh, an aggressive approach on a merger or acquisition or a financing deal, I usually find that that's where a lot of the aggression was. But when you're talking about core operations, the risk is too high that if you make a one mistake one year, it's going to be a repeating mistake in your core operations. Or you have a dispute with the revenue service in the core operations year after year, and that can expose you um, to serious penalties and interest over multiple years. The problem with transfer pricing was when it was aggressive is that people were getting into their core operations. Usually that's not where the avoidance lies, but there isn't so much discussion on multi-year. I mean, I think it's, it's naturally assumed that you're going to look at a year and it should be consistent with prior years, but they, they don't really have a multi-year focus. But just to articulate it in a little clearer detail, have whatever multiple year analysis that you're going to have in correspond to the narratives that you're putting in your transfer pricing. That That's the bottom line here. Yeah, I would think that's okay. right. Yeah, absolutely. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're curtailing this entirely around your narrative. That's what they're really looking at. Just to hit specifics of uh, their special benchmarking requirements for the folks at home An interquartile range is applicable. Countries are considered to be related parties if ownership share is above 20 percent and should be excluded from a comparable search. Um, is there at that point a preferred transfer pricing method or hierarchy of methods? Okay, before we get to that, it's interesting about benchmarking. The question is, how many companies do you need to look at? Just as a footnote. Sure. So one of the things that you'll see is that usually, and that's also the thing about these benchmarking studies. I'm not saying I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert at benchmarking studies. And it's surprising a number of the firms, only certain people do them. I thought there'd be a lot more benchmarking studies and more people would be working on it. Um, but the benchmarking studies, usually what you find is you you'll find that people will choose the number seven seems to come to mind in the discussions between seven and 10, you know, comparable companies to provide that level of comparability. And then they call it a day, but it's hard to find comparables. And when you're looking at comparables, the difficulty is, is if you look at a business, each business has its own secret sauce of doing things. You can't say that Pepsi and Coke operate the same way even though they both sell soft drinks. Car companies have different profit models. So it's very hard to look externally to a company that you don't deal with. You're only getting you know, third-party data that's publicly listed and then say that company is really comparable to you. So there's a real question on that benchmarking. I think what you do find is the revenue services I haven't seen, and maybe I, you know, maybe I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I don't usually see a battle over the benchmarking study. If you've done a good benchmarking study, the revenue service has trouble dealing with that. Some of the African authorities don't even have the money to do a benchmarking study, so they can't challenge them. Um, but where you do see the lot of the fight going to is the functional analysis. And the functional analysis become, have you really, is your transaction driven by business? Does it look commercial? 
And if it doesn't look commercial, then they start coming in. So for instance, you see multi-year analysis. Um, we'll see that some of the revenue authorities are very low. If you start making losing money for a period of time, over two, three years, they, you know, and maybe you're doing it for legitimate reasons, they, they become very aggressive in there. They say, well, that, that can't be. And um, sometimes it's a startup period. Um, other reasons, you know, maybe it, one part of the business is subsidizing another, but it's still going on with the same two companies. But that's, you'll find a lot of that. And that's why I was saying that sometimes they're arguing, well, you know, we have experts here. We have accountants here. Why are you doing this in another country? You, that there's clearly a transfer pricing problem. He's like, no, there isn't. You just want us to work here, but we're not. <laughs> so what is that all about? And the difficulty with functional analysis is, is, again, revenue authorities don't know business. So they don't, they don't believe it. They, they suspect it. And in South Africa, they do a bit of it as well. Um, they're a little bit more careful in that sense. They're willing to listen a little bit more. But the battle usually is there. Interrupting very briefly for our first CPE code word, and that code word is orange, is in the Orange River, the longest river within the borders of South Africa. Returning to our conversation, so, so what challenges does this pose to picking a transfer pricing method or how that method is going to be interpreted by the tax authorities or whether they have a hierarchy of methods that can be applied? Yeah, I guess that, yeah, going back to the hierarchy issue, I think, you know, look, when it comes to the big methods there, I think the big method that people use is a transactional net margin method. That's really where they're at. So one of the things the revenue service doesn't like, though, is they don't want you rushing to that method. They want to know that it actually is applicable. So there are times where, you know, on minerals, you know, you're looking for the cup at that point. So there tends to be a favor, you know, they believe that the cup is probably better in, in that approach. But you do find, and that's when they get a little bit frustrated. They go, you, you, that, that you've hired the accounting firm. The accounting firm only knows there's a week. Well, let's just use the transactional net margin method and we go from there. But you'll find that the transactional net margin method and its variations, like I call them, you know, the, the resale minus and the cost plus variation of transactional net margin method is probably used 80% of the time. There's no official hierarchy. As a practical matter, you find that's just the easiest way to do it. The other methods, they are unreliable. Like, as I said, cost plus and resale minus, the problem is you can't rely on the accounting books of the third-party data because how they use their, their margins may be different. And so those usually get excluded for that reason. So, so we've painted a very nuanced picture of SARS as an agency. In some respects, they're arguably under-resourced. Obviously, that's trending towards growing resources. How aggressive would we characterize them as a tax authority in the general sense versus particular items that they might be more aggressive about, say, in an audit? It, well, it's had a little bit of a history. So, I mean, there was a period where there was a lot of aggression. And then that was going on, you know, under, before Magnani, and there was a real push for targets. And then we saw the Magnani era, which was under Zoom, and there was a lot of corruption. And what you found was the revenue service was directed toward the innocent to be pushed away from the guilty. And there, what you saw, the kind of aggression is, you know, looking for easy wins, you know, functional analysis, imposing 
business standards that simply don't exist, catching you out on timelines, simply declaring that we think you owe it and you fight your way out and hoping that you can get a compromise. There was a period of real just naked aggression where it was basically scare tactics. And, and you'll see that in some of the revenue authorities. One of the famous revenue authorities, just as a side note, is there are two countries that all our multinationals complain about in Africa. And the number one poster child is Tanzania. Every time I talk to people, Tanzania. And Tanzania is even known where they just simply say, oh, they look at their budget and they go, okay, well, gee, you know, we need, we need, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars or whatever. And then they just, they just allocate, you know, 10 billion, 10, 10 to one, 20 to another. And they just allocate it in a hope that they can get it. And one thing about transfer pricing is it's so easy to assert because you might not win it, but everything is so open-ended and factual, transfer pricing becomes very, very easy. And sometimes transfer pricing is used in that way because how can the company defend itself? You'll also see a DRC causing a lot of trouble. So the, oftentimes what you'll see on the continent is an aggressive push on transfer pricing. And then when they get closer and closer to court, they go, okay, I don't know if we can really sustain this win. And then they pull back. Today, I think that the new um, commissioner at SARS, he's saying, look, the, the most important is voluntary compliance. So he's taken the position that, look, the economy is hard. We're trying to recover. There's a lot of frustration with government. So he's trying to say, look, we need to clean up our books. We need to be fair on our side. And then transfer pricing you know, will be imposed. And so they've been a little bit more careful not to just assert things. But again, the revenue authorities in every speech, including South Africa, whenever they talk about gaining revenue, transfer pricing is listed as they must spend resources, they must spend time. So they all know it and are trying it. According to ATAF, the problem for a lot of the ones on the continent is that when they put people into transfer pricing and they start becoming successful, they get promoted out or they get bought out by a firm. So in most of the continent, it's really hard to keep them very long. And that's part of the problem. They keep getting juniors in, but they just don't hold them. Um, because they can get better money elsewhere within the organization elsewhere. In South Africa, the real problem is they, they've lost a lot and they just haven't been able to recover and they, need, they really need more training. I think that, that will start to grow over time. Interrupting once again for our second CPE code word, and that code word is Afrikaans, A-F-R-I-K-A-A-N-S. Again, that's A-F-R-I-K-A-A-N-S, one of the 11 languages spoken in South Africa. Returning to our conversation, keeping in mind what you've even said about just the present and undeniable influence of the pandemic and how this is going to impact transfer pricing, how do or how harsh rather do penalties end up becoming at the end of the day if you incur them? You know, penalties can be quite hard. And I think one of the things that happened in the U.S., again, I've been away a long time, was there was a period in the U.S. you just saw penalties, 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 and somebody came along and said, look, first, interest, it builds up very quickly. And that becomes a problem. And then the other issues, they said, you know, you want to keep penalties around 25%. But you'll see a lot of South African penalties start at 200%. And you'll see in African countries, they tend to have high penalties. And so the beginning of every dispute 
Immediately, once they suspect you, they hit you, they throw the most savage penalty, and then you have to work your way down. And that becomes a serious aggravation for you know the company and the, the tax people within it, and the finance people, because what you're seeing is the potential liability of those penalties. So they tend to be thrown first and softened later. Some countries are less flexible than others. That, unfortunately, is a very bad habit to cross the board and transfer pricing is included. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And going back to methodology for a second, how often does that end up being challenged? Yeah, the transfer pricing methodology, um, I think what you first see is um, more, they, they'll come first with the functional analysis. And that's where they'll go first. Then what they will do is they'll go after notional methods, and then they might go after the methodology. So sometimes you'll see the methodology. Sometimes the companies. You know, they're not really, they don't look that com comparable. Other times, they'll say you jump two facts, the transactional net margin method, and it looks like you're doing a quick formula approach. But they tend to like functional analysis and inconsistency of documents. They feel much more comfortable there, especially on the continent outside of South Africa. And South Africa will go a little further, but it's harder for them because. To really prove and say your benchmarking study is wrong, you know, you then have to go and do your own benchmarking study, and you, as a revenue authority, have a problem. You don't know the company as well, and so when they do happen, and I've seen them happen, where what it actually does happen that they go, okay, this is a car company here. Why isn't your car company comparable, or why isn't your bottling company or your your um, um, telecommunication company working like this company. So they tend to do it on industry lines, but unfortunately, that's not how you do it. You're really trying to do it on risk and where risk reward and understanding the business model. And those can be fights when they come up. But again, oftentimes the revenue authorities and a number of them don't have the ability to do benchmarking. So they kind of have to accept what they can, they can interrogate what the taxpayer has done, but they can't come up with numbers on their own. Now, SARS doesn't specify any industries or situations that are targeted for audits, but based on your experience, who should be careful? Yeah, that's a good point. I think we've gone through periods. So you, you, you it's the lore, you know, that's what, that's why people get together and they group and discuss and you see little habits. There was a period that mining was under major assault. Mm. So mining was a big one, and they picked up some big ones. 
um, issues. And the biggest one was these marketing centers. You know, your, your mind, you sell gold. Why do you have these marketing distribution centers? What is that all about? And the revenue sees that, service sees that as a big flag. And um, they, from there, they were quite hot and heavy on that space. And minerals, you would always be worried if you're dealing with minerals because revenue authorities feel that they've been cheated. But SARS has gone through you know, their, their tax on that, and it's, it's waned to an extent. There was also a period where they were going quite heavily on low-cost services. And this was a big frustration in Africa because... When you're a South African multinational and you're charging cross-border services to um, Zimbabwe, say, or to Angola, you found that the local country couldn't really pay for the services. And it wasn't a transfer pricing issue, but there was issues of exchange control and others, and the revenue was too low. And they started to find themselves, the Africa, the local country like Zimbabwe would be demanding high withholding taxes. And then SARS, when they looked at you know, low cost services, they were trying to get much higher prices. And so if you were caught just doing a 5% notional, you would be hit off the bat. I think now where this seems to be the focus is a little bit more on local distribution centers. I think the reason why that's been there a little bit is that one of the difficulties for the revenue authority has been is that they, they over audited their own multinationals and they weren't auditing far, local subsidiaries of foreign multinationals. So in the early days of the large business center, they simply just took the largest companies without regard to the group in many cases. And what they found was that a lot of the local South African subsidiaries were being audited in the field. They just weren't being paid attention to. And one of the concerns by a lot of people says, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of over auditing your, your local multinationals, your South African brand, and you're really putting us in an uncompetitive position with the foreign investor with the local subsidiary. So they've begun to shift in that direction, um, withholding certificates and other things as well. But the, the issue also is if you're looking at the OECD and their documents, you know, fast price consumer goods, digital, what you're really talking about in many cases is local distributors. And so there's increasing focus in that direction, um, just having experience with the OECD. And interrupting one last time for our third and final CPE code word, and that code word is Mandela, as in Nelson Mandela. And if you need an explanation for who that is, whoa boy, do you need to open a history book? Returning to our conversation, this July, the National Treasury released the 2020 Draft Taxation Laws Amendment Bill, which includes a proposal to change the definition of, quote, affected transaction for transfer pricing pricing reasons. Does this tell us uh, what does this tell us about South Africa's stance on base erosion and profit shifting? Well, I think, well, that it's, it's part of a trend. I mean, they're, they're very much bought into the base erosion profit you know, shifting trend. And I think all of the African countries have done it. So the question is, do you take, they will, they will align with the OECD to the extent that it, it's protecting that, which they view as pro-source versus they, they view themselves as part of the colonialization thing. As a colony, they need to be protected against base erosion more than others now this but that the amendment itself doesn't really tell you much all it was was if you look at transfer pricing um it's about local 
investment of a local South African company vis-a-vis a foreign company. And your core of your transfer pricing really is, you know, foreign sub South African subsidiary. That's, that's the core of it. But you also are concerned South African parent transacting onto the continent. What the rule, one area that's lesser known in transfer pricing is what happens if your CFCs are interacting with foreign companies or your CFCs are acting, interacting with locals. And the question is, has the CFC paid enough transfer pricing of, not, of, of subpart F income for the United States and in South Africa, Section 9D? Have they paid their fare of imputed income as a result of a foreign subsidiary? And the rules always intended to get that, but there was a technical problem. And so they had to fix the technical problem. And to be honest with you, I mean, you can focus on deemed income from a controlled foreign company, but there really isn't nearly as much revenue in it. So I think the industry says, fine, you can do that, but don't make me do a transfer pricing analysis for all my controlled foreign companies. I mean, I already have to do it and give you the information for South African companies. But if I have to give all of that information to you from the local companies, a lot of them are exempt. A lot of them are in a high tax jurisdiction. A lot of them have what we know is the business establishment exception. A lot of them, it's not subpart of income. So why do you want to do transfer pricing income, transfer pricing where that, that deemed income won't arise even if you've had an arm's length price. So the request by the private sector is bring in the rule, but make sure I only have to have transfer pricing if there's actually deemed income at stake. And Professor Engel, to say that we appreciate you coming on the show and talking about South African transfer pricing is an understatement, uh, as is to say that you're a wealth of information on the subject. That said, is there any part of South African transfer pricing that you find continually gets overlooked by taxpayers in that jurisdiction. Just to give you an interesting one, just because I think the audience would care about, is Mauritius. Because a lot of Americans, when you invest in Africa, one of the problems when you you get a global understanding of, of the African continent is there was a lot of base erosion in Europe because the treaties were also very favorable to the exporting country. So if you look at a lot of the treaties, there's zero interest, zero on or 5% on dividends, zero on royalties, other income, effectively zero. When you look at Africa, you will find that most of the countries have UN-style treaties. And that's where South Africa is different. They have OECD-style treaties, not quite as pro-source, but they tend to be OECD. And one of the big things for a lot of the multinational isn't about aggressive supply chain management. You can't operate like in Europe. In Europe, you know, you can take your business and put it in Hungary, put it in Czech, put it in Germany. You'll be multi-jurisdictional supply chain. In Africa, it's very hard to work that way. You really, you come from the Europe and you go directly to Africa. And what you find is a few countries that give you better access in. Mauritius, Dubai, Switzerland, Luxembourg, Netherlands. So what you're usually doing, sometimes it's aggression, but other times it was simply to avoid and mitigate double taxation. Now, one of the countries that's under assault by the OECD has been Mauritius. 
And Mauritius has, I think, because, especially because the royalty and the interest articles have been used as aggression on the continent. And where Americans have to be careful of is when you're looking at Mauritius now, the treaty network has got a problem because the Africans are not as willing to have a treaty with them anymore. You're finding the OECD on the, I think it was the FATF task force said that they were operating with illicit flows. They're in the treaty with India um, has been not revoked, but it no longer is effective for new business operations. And what you're finding is they have to meet lots of standards. So one of the challenges that recently came up was that they began, in order to make themselves look good in front of the OECD, is they began to actually actively impose transfer pricing themselves. And what happened is Mauritius was often a back-to-back arrangement where the Mauritius company would charge services on the continent and then recharge offshore without adding additional value. There was no cost plus or anything. And they immediately now, the Mauritians have been attacking those structures. So one area you need to be watchful is if you're going to go to Mauritius, the trends on transfer pricing are not that favorable. And a lot of people in Mauritius are saying, you're being silly, you're killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Just a footnote to be mindful of. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp professor angle uh, i i think this has been an illuminating discussion to say the least not even just about this one tax jurisdiction but how much can be seen and how much of all of these processes work uh from both tax authority perspective a legislative perspective um, even a perspective from inside how multinationals look at this but before we close we have time for my favorite part of the show we call this the what we want to know fire round uh, of questions we have a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat and And always our first question is, are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best compliment you've ever received? The best compliment I've received? Well, I think that people view me as an illuminary. So I say, wow, you know, really, I'm one of the the, the keepers of the tax system now. I've, I've became one of the fathers of many of the aspects of international tax for South Africa. And yes, that would be a good compliment. What is your proudest career accomplishment thus far? I would say that it was changing the tax base for the South African system. We, what we accomplished was we broadened the base and lowered the rate. But one of those things in that accomplishment, and we did that uh, for a number of years, 
it, it, I, I was very proud of how we brought the system in line with international practice, broadening the base, lowering the rate, and also while we were doing it, being very careful not to disrupt commercial transactions. So some of the things I did were issues on company, created company reorganizations. I created the, um, the subpart F income for offshore. I also, we, we actually um, beat BEPS before it began. So before BEPS even began, wow. we started to build rules against it. And so I, I think those were fairly good accomplishments. Indeed. Where is the first place you'll travel to once the pandemic is over? Hmm. It, it, you know, actually, interesting question. I, it depends what I'm doing. If I get to go home and, and see my, my, my family, it might be the U.S. If it's part of my job, um, we often meet tax institutes in the United Kingdom or Ireland. So I might find myself there. Sometimes I'm asked to speak on the continent where you know, often Zimbabwe is calling me up. That might be an opportunity. I've gone there a number of times for a funny country. What would be your last meal on earth? What would be my last meal on earth? Interesting stuff. Not sure how you'd end up in the scenario where you need to know what your last meal is. So we'll, we'll leave that yeah, aside. I, I guess you know, I'm thinking right now for things I miss from the United States is pulled pork. And I love cornbread, <sighs> stuff I've missed from the U.S. for so long. Oh, well, if you come to the cross border offices, we're going to we're going to have a, a whole platter for you of, thank you of pulled pork. We want to thank Professor Angle for his time contributing to the last two episodes of the Fiona show. We also want to thank everyone at home for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're there, don't forget to check out our short-form news podcast. That's the Fiona Show hot off the press. My name's Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. Stay tuned for next week when we cover a tax jurisdiction that isn't South Africa, I promise. Until then, stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll catch everyone next week. Yeah.